Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. Welcome to Missing in Canada, an ongoing series by the Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Missing in Canada, an ongoing series by the Nighttime Podcast that explores the stories and circumstances of Canadian missing persons cases. In this episode, we're going to be discussing a story that'll take us back three months to New Year's Eve. According to statements made to her family, 37-year-old military veteran Katrina Blagden planned to ring in the New Year with a quiet night at home with her boyfriend. However, the next morning when her family and friends were unable to reach her, they became concerned and reached out to her boyfriend. According to him, the couple went to bed together just before midnight, and when he woke up, she was gone. And now, after three months of searching, the only trail she seems to have left behind is in the form of unanswered questions and an army of desperate loved ones. Now let's get to it. Tonight, in this episode of Nighttime, Ashley Drake and I will present and discuss the disappearance of Katrina Blagden. How are you doing tonight, Ashley? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing good. It's been a wild few days, been very busy, had a snowstorm today, and I had to shovel so much that I'm kind of miserable, but I'm glad to be yeah. like in a warm room in my basement with a pop in, a pop in you. Yeah, I was uh, lucky because my neighbor came over and uh, snow blowed the driveway. Oh, isn't that the best? Yeah. The longer you leave it, someone will just take pity on you. So, <laughs> that's yeah. a, that's a, a life hack. Yeah. Um, we're here tonight uh, for a rather dark story that actually has a Nova Scotia connection. This um, We're, we're going to be talking about the story of Katrina, seemingly more often known as Trina Blagden. Uh, is this is this story in, uh, new to you or have you come across Trina before? No, it's new to me. I did think her picture looked a little bit familiar, so I might have seen it in passing, but I wasn't aware of all the details. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm this very similar until I actually the way I found out about this story is I got quite a few emails shortly after she went missing from listeners of the show who were connected with her in one way or another that was like, you know, Jordan, here's the story. You should, you know, talk about this on your show. And it was a lot of people from Cape Breton where I'm from. And that led me to realize that Katrina actually grew up in Cape Breton initially and later in life moved to Ontario where the story actually takes place. But, um, but shortly after she disappeared and I was getting those emails, I put a, a post up on my, like on my social media, just with like a missing persons poster sort of thing that I made just to kind of get it out there. And it was, uh, that really opened, uh, opened the floodgates where I was getting tons of people like writing like, Oh my God, I like, I know her. I had no idea she was missing. So it seems yeah. like just my show, since so many listeners are in Nova Scotia, um, it just, uh, I guess the kind of the audience crossed over from, people who listen to my show and people who may have known Katrina Blagden earlier yeah. in life. Um, also the, the, uh, another thing is she's uh, ex-military and something about that P- I've, military people really stick together. So I, mm-hmm. um, I've heard from a lot of people who listen, who knew her through the military. So it's a, uh, yeah, it's um, 
going to be a sad, dark, and rather disturbing story, but it's it like last week when we talked about El Nas, this is a story where it's recent and it's still uh, like a fluid situation. So at, at, at any point, this could change and a simple development could blow this wide open. I'm absolutely yeah. convinced. Her mom and either she's one of my babies and I love her so much. 37-year-old Katrina or Trina Blagden was last seen New Year's Eve. Her boyfriend told her family he and Trina went to bed together in their St. Catharines home the night before. When he woke up, she was gone. I can't understand how somebody can vanish in thin air like that. Trina's family is from out of town and have been staying in the Niagara community since early January. We drive around sometimes for five, six hours a day. Trina's family says there's been an overwhelming amount of support from the Niagara community and beyond. You cannot believe that there are so many people that are so generous with big hearts that are saying, we're going to find her. We're, we will not stop till we find her. And those are the words that you need to hear right now. Trina's family says they still have hope. We're not going to stop. We will not stop. Well, let's uh, let's start at the beginning with with some basics, just to kind of set the scene for as we go through the timeline. But Katrina, again, more often known it seems as Trina Blagden. Um, when we get into the story, she was last seen on New Year's Eve past, so December 31st, 2021. She's a mother of two. Uh, as far as physical characteristics, she's white, uh, short. She's 5'4". I guess that's short, is it? Be short for a man, is yeah, it? Yeah, average, I think, for a woman. Maybe. Average, okay. Yeah, maybe a little shorter than average. Okay. Um, her, All the missing persons posters and whatnot describe her having a slim build. I would describe it as an athletic build. When I see photos of her, she looks like she could kick butt if someone messed with her. She looks like she's in extremely good shape, yeah. Yeah. Um, From one photo to another, she seemed to have a slightly different look as far as like hairstyle, but overall dirty blonde hair and she had several, she has several tattoos and any art that I use for this episode in any of the missing persons posters generally will include her arms where she has quite a few tattoos, Mm -hmm. but, but none that are like so prominent that you would describe it as like, you know, if you see someone with this, just uh, heavily tattooed on her arms at least. Um, But she, I, I mentioned her having a connection with Cape Breton. She actually grew up in Glace Bay, Cape Breton. And, Left at one point, I'm not entirely certain why she left Cape Breton, but I do know that shortly after leaving, she began a career in the military. Uh, She had a 14-year career that included a tour of Afghanistan. So this isn't um, the kind of like weekend warrior uh, military sort of thing. She was straight up like, you know, at war in Afghanistan. Um, I believe even the majority of the time that she was serving, she was living in Ontario, But um, after retiring, or I guess I don't know if retire is the word, but after leaving the military around 2015, she moved to St. Catharines in Ontario. And that's where she started living, I guess you would call it, like her civilian life, her life outside of the military. Um, 
I don't the military type they're they're like a, a certain breed that and I don't think I have any close friends that are military people although I live in Halifax which is very much a like a military city it seems any close to you in the military no not at all okay. no we're just lame no. yeah we're not cut out for that. <laughs> we're not, I'm not tough enough to have friends that are in the military even no um <laughs> But Trina, uh, I, I mentioned like she was the real deal, served in Afghanistan, 14 years yeah. in, in the military. Um, she left the military with a very common scar people take with them is her later life was plagued with PTSD, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, as a result of experiences she had in the military. And based on what, it, what I read and what her family have shared, it seems to be a uh, like a pretty extreme case uh she really struggled with it that said she has a lot of friends and family and people that you know can advocate for her and help her through the dark times but it's yeah. um any description that i've come across of her that that it seems to be brought up as kind of a a defining characteristic of yeah. uh her, her later life after leaving the military and i, I don't think that's completely uncommon and no, I think that's totally to be expected from anybody that serves overseas yeah. or, you know, just in the military in general or, you know, mm -hmm. first responders. Yeah. And it's um, I can't even imagine it. I was actually with everything that's going on in the world right now. I've been thinking more and more about war and all these things. And I just like I, I guess some people are cut from a different cloth. I know like I could not handle that. I'm such a like an indoor house cat. I need like my mm -hmm. comfortable space, everything. I, yeah. I want I want to be able to like count on and rely on everything and have all these routines. The idea of like shipping off and going to Afghanistan and putting your life on the line. Um, it's great that there are people who are brave enough to do it. Yeah. But um, yeah. and they it, sacrifice their mental health to do that. Oh, they yeah, know certainly. Come back, right. Yeah. Yeah. And everything that I read seems to say that um, oftentimes they come back having sacrificed their mental health and a lot of the support that uh, that should be there isn't always there. And there are people who fall through the cracks, of course, with PTSD. We have a, a public inquiry going on in Nova Scotia right now for an ex-military guy, Lionel Desmond, who came home from, I think, Afghanistan. And he had struggled so badly with PTSD, it seemed like he wasn't getting the help he wanted. And it eventually led to a murder-suicide uh, where he lost his life as, along with other members of his family. And that's now going through the, I don't know if the word would be the courts, but there's a public inquiry being held in Nova Scotia to determine like how this happened and, you know, what, what holes, what cracks he was able to fall through. But anyway, yeah. it's um, PTSD is a, a real serious issue for a lot of first responders, for military men and women, and just for anyone who, you know, takes the the tough road through life it seems but um she was one uh, a person who struggled with that however as i said she seemed to have a really good support system there she has yeah. a family who she uh, all accounts are is very close with two teenage sons so she had a lot connecting her to you know to family and life and i'm sure a lot of this would have helped with uh, dealing with the ptsd um and I should also just to further set the scene is despite struggling with PTSD, what I've read is that in the weeks and months prior to her disappearance, um, she was said to be 
kind of at like having a really good uh, spell of time, mainly because um, one one thing she was really excited about is she went to, back to school to study administration, um, which is kind of a vague topic. I'm not sure exactly what type of administration or what she was studying, but she ended up just completing the course just a bit prior to her disappearance. But this course was something she was really excited about. So, you know, dis yeah. despite her struggles, things were working out. She had a, a plan in life. She uh, and, and that plan, I should also mention, being a Cape Bretoner, her plan included um, she was she was considering selling her house in St. Catharines um, to move back to Glace Bay in Cape Breton. That was something that was, you know, on the horizon, possibly this this spring. Uh, she was she was considering doing that. So when, yeah. uh, you know, if, if things had worked out differently, her house would be probably be on the market right now. Yeah, now's but, the time to do that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, I, I don't like know. And no hard feelings, though, for people from Glace Bay. But having been there many times, I don't know if it's ever a great time to move to Glace Bay. Uh, but she <laughs> she likely had some roots there. So she probably had yeah. a, a pretty good reason to go. Now, we'll, we'll start getting to the events that lead up to her, her disappearance. And, and the way I, I thought we could tackle this is follow the timeline more so from the parents point of view or from her family's point of view rather than exactly chronologically because I think following from her family's point of view tells a little bit different of a story uh, and I think maybe a more accurate one so yeah. again th the majority of what we're going to discuss will will occur on New Year's Eve of this past year to 2021 and New Year's Day and the, the days after that as, as far as what her family knew about Trina's plans for New Year's Eve, she had messaged and communicated with, a, with her sister, Kelly. And one of the things that she had said was that she was planning for, on New Year's Eve a quiet night at home, probably going to bed close to or just before midnight. So she made a, I said to her sister, Kelly, I, the message was sent to someone in her family, but this information came from Kelly. But Regardless, she had communicated with her family this idea that I'm not going to have a wild night. I'm going to be in bed probably before New Year, before midnight, and you know, chilling at home kind of thing is was the indication. Yeah. The first sign for trouble, however, comes the next day. What happens is Trina's best friend and Trina's sister get in contact with each other. And they both say, huh, we haven't been able to contact Trina today. I haven't heard from her. Have you heard from her? Neither of them had heard from her. Um, they had been reaching out to her, not getting a response, not able to reach her. The next thing that happened is Trina's best friend contacted Trina's boyfriend, uh, who was living with her in St. Catharines. It seemed like Trina's family, for the most part, doesn't know this boyfriend. And that's probably why the best friend made this contact. But Trina's boyfriend informed her best friend that he woke up at eight in the morning after going to bed with with Trina the night before and she was not in the house. So uh, the initial story is he woke up after going to bed with her before midnight. She wasn't there. When that news got to Trina's sister and family, of course, they started to be like, huh, like that. This is weird. What you know, what the heck is going on? Um, at about 3 p.m. that day, so a couple hours after finding out that the boyfriend woke up without Trina there, at about 3 p.m., Trina's family called the police in that area requesting that they do a wellness check, which is basically, you know, 
not like filing a missing persons report, but it's more like, you know, something's up, go knock on the door and see what's going on. Um, but that didn't give much information. They did do a wellness check at 8.30 at night, so almost 12 hours from when they found out that he woke up without her there. Uh, when police went to the house that Trina owned and her boyfriend lived in with her, there was no answer at the door. So Yeah, it was five and a half hours from the time that they called and then when they did the wellness check. So I don't know if that's a normal time for a wellness check or I guess if it wasn't urgent, like, I don't know. I, I think like if, if a grown woman, you know, the day on New Year's Day, there's like, I'm, I'm sure those police didn't take yeah. that call. They weren't freaking out yeah. right away. Um, but yeah. it's in hindsight, oh man, I wish they had gone right there. Um, yeah. Cause it's like that day, this one day of New Year's Day uh, is so important on this. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's so that all happened on New Year's Day. The at 8 30 p.m., the police knock on the door. Boyfriend, Katrina's not home. No one's there. The next day around noon is when they actually file a missing persons report. So on January 2nd is when she's actually reported missing. At this point, the family knows nothing and haven't had contact with the boyfriend. All they know is that, according to him, he woke up on New Year's Day. She wasn't in the bed. Um, the police tried to do a wellness check and no one was home. Uh, they haven't found Trina. The best friend hadn't found Trina. They filed a missing persons report. Now, some of what we'll get into now is going to be kind of speculating on what happened. We don't know exactly the, the exact timeline, but we have a pretty good idea of, of who said what and when. But when the missing persons report is filed, the police are able to contact the boyfriend to at least get some information. Whatever he told them led to the police stopping at a sub shop, like a place that's not Subway, but like a place that sells subs in the area and getting CCTV footage that shows around 6 p.m. on New Year's Eve, December 31st, around 6 p.m., Katrina and her boyfriend go to the sub shop. Uh, they're in tr- Katrina's car. She has like a lime green SUV. The boyfriend's driving. She's in the passenger side seat. They go in the car in the building, get the subs, come back and drive off. Uh, it, it turns out that this will will go down at this point as the last known whereabouts in footage and photos of of Katrina. And the the reason I said like they don't, I don't know the exact timeline is I don't know exactly what he said to lead the police to find the CCTV footage. But presumably, he told them, you know, that the night she went missing, we went to this to the sub shop and that'll become the story a little bit later, but kind of the first step in the investigation and the first kind of clue or detail that comes up is this piece of, um, of CCTV footage. And sadly, there's not a whole lot more of a trail even left behind. It's um, the boyfriend's story as will eventually come out is that the evening of new year's Eve, they go to the sub shop, and the video corroborates that. They come back home from the sub shop and play cards, I think, or board games. Yeah, board games for yeah. two. Yeah, so play some board. The two of them together alone play board games, which is a weird way to yeah. spend New Year's, but whatever. Um, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, they uh, they go to bed before midnight. Nothing odd's going on, according to him. The next morning, when he wakes up, she's not in the bed. Uh, however, all of her stuff 
is still there with the exception of her cell phone. I think that was the only thing that she normally would have with her that was missing. Um, investigators have confirmed that her cell phone hadn't been used after her disappearance. There were actually, in fact, there was no cell phone activity after 6 p.m. on New Year's Eve, shortly after, or right around the same time as the sub visit. Um, That's one of like, the strangest parts for me because New Year's Eve, especially if you're staying home, yeah. you're going to be monitoring social media to see what your friends are doing, what your family is doing. You're going to be sending text messages. If she's across country, there's going to be time differences. Like her phone's going to be busy, busy. Absolutely. And for there to be nothing after 6 p.m. is a huge red flag. Yeah. Yeah. And she was also like uh, she had accounts on a, or has accounts on a whole bunch of different social media platforms. She's said yeah. to be that type of person not i won't say she's glued to her phone but she certainly mm -hmm. was the type of person that on new year's eve would be looking to see what her friends are doing while she's home with with her boyfriend um she hasn't done that her phone was not used after 6 p.m at this point now we're recording this you know three months after she was last seen there, there hadn't been any updates or logins or activity on any of her social media her bank accounts were uh, remained still untouched Again, her purse was left behind that morning, her passport, her bank cards, all of her stuff with the exception of her cell phone uh, were, were there the next morning. Again, this is according to um, according to the boyfriend. So it's it's really like without something new coming, there's very little kind of to go on in this story. It's it's basically the boyfriend is the only one who's who has a story to tell and we'll, we'll get into this but it's uh, the relationship between the boyfriend and her family uh very quickly soured um yeah. and, and that has made this the investigation i think even harder absolutely the majority of her family if not all of all of Katrina's family had not ever even met this boyfriend their first meeting with him was when they came to St. Catharines to join in the search after her disappearance they went to her house I think to check on her dog she had a dog in the house and when they opened the door of the house and went in they probably yelled a little bit you know is anyone in here house was empty with the exception of the dog but there was, um, it was obvious the dog hadn't been outside for a while because he had been using the bathroom. The dog had been yeah. using the bathroom in the house. Um, they end up taking the dog. The house was empty. And it, it, it. a couple days later, they went back to get stuff for the dog, like, you know, like toys or whatever that the dog would need. And when they get to the house, the boyfriend is there with another friend. And it seems to very quickly devolve into an argument primarily between not the boyfriend, but the boyfriend's friend and Katrina's family. Uh, I haven't heard what exactly was said, but it said it seems like there was a lot of uh, bad language and a pretty intense blow up um, yeah. that that played out there. And it's and it's at this point that when this happens this is a couple days after she had gone missing the her family kind of confronts the boyfriend like tell us what like what happened tell us what happened and it's at that point that he tells the family finally you know this is what we did on new year's eve we played we went to the sub shop played board games went to bed i woke up so that's really the first time they've actually heard him 
the first time they met him, but the first time they heard him tell the story. But I just think when I read about this encounter at the house, I just can't imagine it. Like if, if my partner went missing or something and their family came, I just can't imagine not, I just can't imagine it going like that. I, I, I can't put myself yeah, in that do. position. You would do everything you could to make them feel comfortable. Their daughter, their sister is missing. You were the last person to see them. You know, you would want to give them all the information that you could and be friendly. If you were just meeting them for the first time under such tragic circumstances, you think you would be, you know, very empathetic towards them. But. You would think. And but this is it gets even worse because what ends up happening is so the boyfriend is in her house that Katrina owned. The boyfriend doesn't own the house. Uh, mm -hmm. Katrina's family, who's in the area now from away searching, they have to get, they're like renting a place. They can't stay at the house because the boyfriend's there. Um, another thing that happens is um, the boy. So remember I told you they, they went once, got the dog. They came, checked in again, have a blow up with the boyfriend. The next time they go to the house, he actually changed the locks. So that's that's yeah. nasty. But another thing that he did, I mentioned earlier that Katrina had two teenage boys. Um, one of her kids is now of driving age and wanted to get her Jeep. She had a lime green or has a lime green SUV or Jeep. That's like her baby. I've seen many photos of her in it. So it's obvious that it's like it's her thing. Um, her son wanted the vehicle. Uh, they asked the boyfriend to leave it at the house. He didn't. They had to give like a written kind of a written request for like, can you bring her car to her house so we can get it? He yeah. still didn't do it. Um, they eventually, I believe it, that part of it is settled. But what I've read, but it seems that it's being handled like as a civil case. Uh, I believe they have the family has a lawyer involved in kind of separating him from her house and her stuff. So basically yeah. like that side of things is pretty ugly the it is. the boyfriend hasn't been involved in searches and there have been many searches um he was in the there's a facebook group where there's a lot of members people who know katrina people who live in the area he was in the facebook group but not active he was just kind of lurking for a little bit and then he's since left uh, the group. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's not looking yeah. good and um his his behavior is not only suspicious it's just very very bad behavior you know it's atrocious it just mm -hmm. he isn't helping them at all you know he was really at this time the person that was closest with her um and he's being you know you think he would be like a host to these people like mm -hmm. her family's coming over but he's not even allowing them in the house mm -hmm. going as far to lock the doors like he's just acting very very strangely yeah and it's like you said suspicious but it's it's like it's so atrocious that it's suspicious you know you know what exactly. i mean like yeah. it, it's just like why would you be so awful in this situation um and another thing it, like not only is he not helping i would say he's actually harming the case and here's here's how is when someone goes missing the the first few days are, are so important because that's when the trail's the hottest the CCTV cameras that are in, you know, all the different businesses have the current footage on them because many of them, the way they work is they'll record, you know, a couple days and then they start recording over themselves and such. So if you can find out the trail immediately, you have a better chance of getting getting video uh, about it or people's memories are fresher and whatnot. Anyways, uh, 
So, of course, I, I had already mentioned the police tried to do the wellness check. No one was home, you know, whatever. But the um, the police weren't able to get a hold of the boyfriend for the first couple days, it seems, after she disappeared. So what that led to is they made missing persons posters that went all over the Internet, were put up all over town that had two pretty glaring errors that the boyfriend would have been able to solve. The first few or the, the first error was that the original missing persons report and posters um, were including her lime green Jeep being like, you know, she was last seen, you know, here's a photo of her. Here's her Jeep. We don't know where she or her Jeep is. And the Jeep is such a um, like would stand out like a sore thumb that that's something that caught a lot of people's attention. But the Jeep wasn't missing. It just turned out that from the yeah. point when she was reported missing, the police couldn't find her or her Jeep because her boyfriend probably had it or wasn't able to account for it. So they considered her missing with the Jeep. So the original missing persons posters include it. You know, the Jeep is also missing. So that's a problem. The other one is that the um, the boyfriend, when he initially explained to investigators what she was last wearing, he described her wearing her and you may understand women's fashion better than me. He described her wearing a black three-quarter length jacket when he last saw her. Uh, however, on January 4th, that was the day the parents and the family went into the went to the house, I think the first time, um, they saw like right next to the door hanging on the coat rack, her black three-quarter length jacket. Um, so the- yeah. I the, think it's not really like, it's not really an issue that a man mixed up a jacket style or color, you know, they don't really pay attention to that all the time. But mm. the fact that the jacket, one of the jackets was at home. Yeah. All he had to do was look and check and he just couldn't be bothered to do that. That's how it seems. And, and, and yeah. the statements the family made is it was right there, obvious, plain yeah. as day, but like kind of like by yeah. the door. And what they ended up finding what she was actually wearing, she was wearing when she was last seen, uh, and they found this out through the CCTV footage from the sub shop, she was actually wearing a purple hip length jacket. Yeah. So very, very yeah. different color. So people initially were looking for someone in a black jacket driving a lime green Jeep when they should have been looking for someone in a purple jacket on foot. Yeah. Um, and that very, and again, these posters that would have went all over the place and been on the news locally and stuff, that's so important to get those basic details right but um it's so wrong that it almost makes you wonder if that was done on purpose you know like how could you make such a grave mistake at that point when yeah when it's when it's important and yeah. the the jeep that one is big I, I can kind of as like kind of a someone who's sort of um I don't know, ignorant to what people around me are wearing in terms of clothes yeah. and such. Uh, I, I yeah. could see myself getting that wrong. And maybe there's a reason he didn't see yeah. the jacket. Yeah. But for the police not to know whether or not she her she had her Jeep or the Jeep was accounted for, it, it, they say, the, the law enforcement said it's because the boyfriend wasn't available to answer these questions. So they included it in the poster. But when she goes missing, the police should be and the family, they should all be in constant contact with each other. Um, yeah. Katrina is someone who said to be always in contact with family and friends. And immediately her family seems to, you know, they believe something, but something's up, something bad is happening right from the very beginning. Um, 
so there's no reason why they're not all in contact other than it seems that the boyfriend is the one who's kind of, um, you know, and you'd almost think that maybe if they weren't able to contact him and she's missing the police at that point might've been like, Hey, I wonder if this guy's missing too, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's, it doesn't add up. I think, um, at, at this point, we, and this is me reading between the lines of what I see in the Facebook group that the family maintains, um, where they share information about, you know, news articles about Katrina's case, but also information on the search and any new developments or leads. Um, it's got to the point where the, the people in that group won't even use his name because I, I think they're expecting like legal consequences. Possibly he's simply referred to yeah. as the boyfriend and to just kind of gauge the mood in that room slash group. Um, he's very much looked at suspiciously and I understand that. Yeah. What yeah. I, I haven't been able to learn much about him other than I've seen people say he's a hunter who is familiar with firearms and uh, in kind of that lifestyle, but yeah, this is just kind of coming from people who seem to have a vague or like a, a, a once removed kind of connection with the people in this story. But I think um, it's probably smart for the family to kind of back away and let police handle it. Cause I think in, at, in my opinion, it's at the point where like he should be answering some tough questions to the police. Cause what's publicly known about her story and his involvement doesn't make sense. People don't go to bed at, you know, just before New Year, just before midnight on New Year's. And then at some point throughout the night, get up and just grab their cell phone and walk off and disappear without mm-hmm. like just um, to talk it through the kind of the worst cases. If if she was kind of going to go away to like, you know, um, get away from life or something, you'd think yeah. she would take her lime green Jeep. Why would you walk off in the cold? Yeah. Um, yeah. And if she was or, good. Yeah. ID, like, you know, just a wallet. She didn't take any of that stuff. Yeah. Or if she was going to go meet with someone for some reason, again, you, you'd bring your wallet or something. You wouldn't just, yeah. yeah. It just Money. doesn't, it, it yeah. might, something or your vehicle. It just doesn't seem yeah. to make sense. And And also, why would you sneak off in the middle of the night? when you're laying in bed with your, your, your partner like this, just nothing about the story makes sense. I I can't understand. I don't think he really quest, like he woke up at 8am and and said that she wasn't there, but he didn't really question that. Right. Until Mm -hmm. someone contacted him. Yeah. It was the, uh, Trina's best friend and sister first realized they weren't able to reach her when the best friend contacted the boyfriend. It it was then he said, yeah, I woke up this morning and she wasn't here. Yeah. I'm thinking like, are you not panicking? Yeah. Yeah, something's I, off. It's something's up. I, I, yeah, I don't know, but it's um, at this point, it's it certainly looks to be um. It just it just seems like it. There's something's going to happen. More details have to come out. People can't just walk off like that. Um, mm-hmm. and and it's it's not something that like Katrina wasn't kind of like a a transient sort of person. It was it's described as extremely out of character for her to walk off or to not tell anyone where she was going or to simply not be in contact with family. So I, I yeah. think um, in, investigators themselves have told the family this is being treated as a suspicious, you know, disappearance, yeah. like, you know, like 
something is going on here. Where it's at this at this point in terms of the present day investigation, you know, three months out from her disappearance, is there was one unconfirmed, or I believe two unconfirmed sightings, and this isn't uncommon for a missing persons case when the posters start going up someone thinks they saw something um hers are she she was reported to be seen walking in the area of martindale road and van sickle road north a few hours after she was uh last seen um so two reports of her people seeing her just walking um a few hours later uh, but it could have been anybody. These are unconfirmed reports, basically yeah. tips that came in. And again, if you go around town right now and put up pictures of anybody and a phone number to call, if you saw them, you're going to get some people who may have seen them, you know, like that's just kind yeah. of human nature. And the point of that is, you know, to give investigators somewhere to go and look and check CCTV for and, and whatnot, but they haven't found any trace of her. What they're looking for, they being law enforcement, is they're requesting anyone in the area, in the St. Catharines area, who would have dash cam, uh, video, security footage, specifically between 8 p.m. on December 31st and 6 p.m. on January 2nd. They want to find, they want to get access to that uh, to see to see what's on there. And, you know, and that's... um. I guess what else can they do at this point? There's no digital kind of trail left behind. I'm sure yeah. there's a lot of an investigation going on behind the scenes about the people around her, but it could be something like a little piece of video or a photo someone took. Luckily, you would think like on New Year's, everybody's taking pictures and filming everything. So, yeah. You know, it's kind of like a good, if, if you're going to be looking for video and such, that's kind of a good yeah. night to and her um her vehicle is like so noticeable too it's not you know you're not looking for like a silver car yeah in or a, a green jeep mm -hmm. right yeah and although the or and yeah and although the vehicles accounted for who knows where it was in this time frame yeah and if she had a purple jacket on like a woman in a purple jacket driving a yeah. lime green jeep you know that should stand yeah. out yeah. Mm. yeah um but it is a it's a very sad story uh her family is frantically searching for her um it, it, they are desperate for information they've spoke to the media several times uh most recently the two family members of katrina sat down with crime stoppers i believe and gave a, a very heart-wrenching interview about her um that just i, I guess gives a, a window gives us a window to look into what they're dealing with but i think um Overall, Katrina is someone who lived a life of service, um, met some struggles at the end with PTSD, but by all accounts, she had it under control. She was dealing with it. She had a support system. Whatever happened to her seemed to happen sometime after 6 p.m. on New Year's Eve uh, after going to this sub shop. Yeah. I think, uh, I think the answer is there. It's just a matter of someone who knows something coming forward maybe that is the boyfriend maybe it's the boyfriend's friend who was there in the days after arguing with her family or maybe it's someone who just saw something unusual happen on the sidewalk as they drove past but um a case like this uh can't go i uh, can't stay cold for long i think i i think something's gonna happen yeah if it's not already in the works mm -hmm. yeah and that's um 
and you say that it, it it's often the case where you may have a good idea of what may have happened or who may be involved, but a good idea is not enough to do anything. It is something needs to give. And I have, you know, and maybe that's what's going on. Maybe the police, you know, think they have a pretty good idea and they're just waiting for someone to do the right thing and come forward and tell people what happened and put, yeah. you know, either bring Katrina home or tell her family yeah. what happened. And yeah, it's sad. It is sad, yeah. I'm Kelly and I am Katrina's oldest sister and a uh, sister-in-arms from the military. I'm Bonnie. I'm Katrina's mom. I want people to know that Trina would never ever do this, leave her family. She encompasses family and friends and warmth and love and this is not Trina to leave us all in the dark for over a month now, especially her two boys. She would never go this long without contact, whether it would be a text, an email, a phone call. She would never go this long. Just if you're watching, Trina, uh, we love you. There's nothing else I can say. We miss you, we love you. We need you to come home. The boys need you to come home. If anybody has any information as to Katrina's whereabouts or information leading to her missing status, then please contact the Niagara Regional Police Services or Crime Stoppers and they will do what's necessary with the information. Ashley, before we wrap it up, I want to revisit last week's case regarding Elnaz Hajtamiri. Um, right. One thing, so we did that that episode last week covering her disappearance uh, or well disappearance her abduction um i got a voice memo from a listener who wanted to share with us their theory of what happened i want to hear what you think of this i was thinking maybe this poor lady had something of importance that belonged to the gentleman uh she was dating and it is uh that she put it somewhere and that's why she was being tracked. And then the night she was abducted, they sat in the car, maybe asking her if it was in the house and she wouldn't say, so then they got the heck out of that area. That's my idea. As well, I feel very sorry for the family. I was a colleague of a, of a doctor who was uh, abducted and um, assumed murdered and uh, the abductor was uh, put on trial and convicted of manslaughter and uh, got out seven years later. What a, like a dark way to end a dark email. <laughs> it's like, and I worked with someone, they were abducted and killed and the person basically got off for it. Um, <laughs> but her, her theory on Elnaz though, it's... Um, yeah, I'm very intrigued by that. That never once crossed my mind. I will say that. Um, no, I, it, me neither. But when I heard it, I was like, yeah. sounds like a movie. It does sound know? like a, like kind of like a heist movie. But I think yeah. here's what I'm thinking: is no matter what, we, without any discussion, we know she was being tracked and targeted. Mm -hmm. Someone had it out for her. So the question is kind of like: was it someone who had it out for her because of a personal? 
like what they perceived to be a personal slight, like an ex-boyfriend or someone that felt that, you know, she crossed them in some way, or was it something more to do with like, you know, like money or, you know, they wanted something she had. And I, I think, um, if you remember in that story is, is she did receive like some sort of an inheritance when her husband passed away. Uh, she was said to have used that money to build a school in Iran for young women and she named it in his honor. So I'm just thinking there's maybe some money that she would have had, but, but she didn't seem like, it doesn't seem like she was rich or anything like that, but I guess it doesn't take much money to make people do crazy stuff. But what it, what it seems to me is whoever took her and wanted this to happen, um, I don't believe it was the two people who showed up dressed as police officers or the two people who um, attacked her with a frying pan. I believe they were either like paid by someone or connected with someone because she didn't know who these people were. So the idea that she had access to something that these people wanted, maybe the only thing. It's a very interesting theory, but yeah, the, the only thing, though, is I think it's gone it got so far by the time that she left home and was like basically in hiding in wasaga beach you'd think if like if it was something simple like they wanted my you know the ring back or you know something like that she'd probably just give it back i'm sure she knew she was in deep yes especially if where they're in the car for the one to two minutes i think she would have told them where it was or you know given it to them and then they could have released her at that time i don't think like if they knew what she had Mm -hmm. they probably wouldn't have taken her with them like as far as criminality goes that's a big step to take so it it, and that's what makes it seem like a personal thing like where it's more like it seems more about you know vengeance and uh, than it does about you know getting money or some kind of crime thing i agree i want to thank you for joining ashley and i in our discussion surrounding the disappearance of katrina blagden For those listening who'd like to become more involved in Katrina's story and the search for her, I've added links in the episode description for some resources. Most significantly, I'd recommend you check out the very active Facebook group maintained by her family and loved ones. I'm sure they'd love to see you join as at this point, they need all the help they can get finding Trina. And with that, I'll wrap up this episode of Nighttime, but before we part, I want to give some thanks. First, a big thanks to Ashley Drake for sharing another evening with me and with the listeners of Nighttime. I'd also like to thank Monty Data for contributing the music in this episode. It's a piece called Noir Tokyo. And lastly, but most importantly, a massive thank you to everyone who listens to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, the show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping the show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, please make sure you're listening on the premium feed. Not only does it make the show possible, it'll give you more of each topic than you'll find here on the free feed as I'm adding exclusive content regularly. So for about the price of a cup of coffee, help the show out and get more of it at p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash nighttime podcast. And on the topic of the premium feed, let me thank the newest subscribers, Sarah, Sylvie, Donnie, Paulette and Brian, thank you for going premium. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't do it via a premium feed subscription, you can give me a big hand by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting like-minded friends know what we're doing here. 
If you have any story ideas, if you want to get feedback on the show or contribute a voice memo, you can do that at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact. And you can also find me on social media. I use Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and I'm often live on the Nighttime Podcast YouTube channel. So until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte.